Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that Connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring an offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our Give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the Word as we look at it together. Morning. It's great to see you. Welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church here on our Modesto campus in our worship center. We have two physical campuses, Modesto and Ceres. We're really glad that you are here with us. If it's your first time, we want you to know we are so glad that you're here. We hope that today is a great encouragement to you. And we're really glad that you're here. I'm going to be in the Welcome Center. It's, it's through those doors right there out in the lobby. And if you're brand new... I would love to meet you. I'd love to make that point of contact. So come by and say hi. We want to welcome everyone who's joining us live right now as well. We're thankful that we have this technology and capability to be connected with you. Uh, we're going to continue to worship Jesus Christ. We just had communion, and we want to continue to stay in communion with the Lord as we spend time in his word. Today, we're beginning a brand new series going through the Gospel of Luke, and we have a few resources that would be helpful for you. The first is, there is a bookmark that shows a reading plan, and this shows a reading plan for every day for four months. And so you got, we got you covered, all right, for four months on a reading plan. And this would be helpful for you to then look at that. You'll be reading along with the rest of the church family. Now, for some of us, as soon as you get a bookmark, you lose it. We got you covered, okay? You can text the word Luke to the number on the screen, 833-577-1604. If you text the word Luke to that number, you will actually get a daily reminder to your phone that will correspond with the bookmark to remind you, hey, time to read, time to read in the Gospel of Luke. In addition, we have these journals. And these journals are ESV scripture journals. They're very simple. On one side is the, the, the scripture from Luke, and on the other side, it's blank. All right? And you can use this as you read through the Gospel of Luke. You can use it to write down your own notes, to study, to pray through it. And these are available in the nook and so just go out to the nook it's out in the lobby and and you can get a copy of these they're very affordable they're six dollars and i have yours available right here for you all right there you go my friend you're welcome all right all right let's spend some time praying before we get into the gospel of luke father god lord thank you for your word and as we approach you and your word. God, would it change our lives? Would you change our lives? Would you change our church? Would you transform us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ? Would you continue to do an incredible work in us? And for every person who's here, who's now going to hear and interact with your word, God, would you use something from your word to grip our heart. 
that we might have an encounter with the living Lord God through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so in that sense, Lord, would this time be very glorifying to you as it gives testimony to how you are working in our lives as individuals and in our lives together as a church family. Lord, we want you to be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said. Amen. 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 So we're going to go through the gospel of Luke. We're going to do it kind of slowly through the next four months. Uh, Even taking four months, we won't be able to teach through every verse. Uh, But we're going to cover a lot of ground together as a church family going through the Gospel of Luke. Luke begins with what Luke describes as an orderly account in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And so as we're introducing the Gospel of Luke here, some things we need to understand about Luke. Luke was a doctor. Luke was a missionary. Luke was born and raised in Antioch. He was a Gentile. And unlike most of the biblical writers, Luke died peacefully late in his life, which was not common for those who were involved in the writing of Scripture. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, we see the same introduction as we see in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke also wrote the book of Acts. You can think of Acts as Luke 2. Because at the end of Luke is where the beginning of Acts picks up. And what he starts in the book of Acts, he says, in the first writing, I covered this much. And then he picks it up from there and he continues on. In the book of Acts, up until chapter 16, verse 9, it talks about they. They did this. They did that. They did this. They did that. But in Acts chapter 16, verse 10... It switches to we, because it's in that part of the story of the missionary journey of Paul that Luke is now a companion with them on their missionary journey. So Luke is actually a part of the we, so it changes from they to we. When we see at the end of Paul's life, he's imprisoned, he's writing a letter to Timothy, and we find in that letter this description, Luke alone is with me. Luke alone is with me. And so we can see how Luke becomes a very close companion to the Apostle Paul. And at one moment in in the Apostle Paul's life, the doctor missionary Luke was the only one who was still with the Apostle. And so we see now in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, we see this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things which have been accomplished among us. And I'll stop there and make this note. Some I will read and explain. Some I will just read. And we'll see how much we we have time to go through. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. It's quite possible that many people attempted to write about the life of Jesus but were unsuccessful. It is also quite possible that some wrote about the life of Jesus and were successful, but their writings were lost. What we can be absolutely positively certain of is that what God wanted to preserve about the life of Jesus, we hold in our hands in our Bible. That God has given us what he wants us to know about Jesus. Verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, and ministers of the word, and they have delivered them to us. 
So what Paul is helping us understand is the different ways these writings have occurred. So let's think about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospel writings. Matthew was Apostle Matthew, Apostle Matthew to Jesus. John was Apostle John, Apostle John to Jesus. Mark was not one of the 12 Apostles, but Peter was an Apostle. And when we read Mark's Gospel, we can understand that Mark is getting his information from Apostle Peter. It's different with Luke. It's different with Luke. Luke was converted to Christ by the Apostle Paul as we see him join the Apostle Paul's ministry on one of his missionary journeys. And so he is taught by the Apostle Paul, the one untimely born, if you understand your Bible, and he was the Apostle to the Gentiles. And so verse 3, he says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account. Luke is acknowledging that he is not an eyewitness of Jesus. He is describing the work of a historian who is checking sources to determine the factual nature of the information. What's interesting in the Gospel of Luke is Luke actually gives us more information about some subjects and time periods in Jesus' life than any of the other Gospels. For example, in the birth, the nativity of Jesus, we have an incredible amount of information that comes in the Gospel of Luke and nowhere else. How is that possible? Well, it's likely that Luke actually interviewed Mary and got the information about all of this context, and some of it we're going to read today, from the person who was a part of it. And so he says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus is a term that means friend or lover of God, and there's multiple possibilities. One is more likely. One possibility is that it refers to the Christian every person. That, that whoever is the friend and lover of God is, is Theophilus. But it uses the term most excellent. And that is a term of, a specific term for nobility. And so it really points that what is most likely is that this is a real historical person. Most excellent Theophilus that Luke is writing to. That, verse 4 begins, that, now we're going to find out why. Why did Luke write this gospel? That you may have certainty... Concerning the things that you have been taught. So the you here really reinforces that this is an actual historical person that Luke is writing to, an individual. But what we see here is Dr. Missionary Luke, his burden that he carries to make sure that Theophilus, his you know, companion to some degree, has the certainty that the, the things that Theophilus has learned about Jesus, that Theophilus can have certainty and trust in what this person has learned about Jesus. And how blessed are we that we now have Luke's gospel with that same heart and that same intent, that we might have certainty about the things that we have been taught about Jesus. In the time period of the writings of the Bible, and writings outside of the Bible. Writings from that time period come under incredible scrutiny. Because from a historical perspective, people want to fact check and find out, are these writings legitimate? 
Well, in the writings of the time period, Luke is likely, the Gospel of Luke is likely the highest scrutinized writing from that entire time period because it shows so much detail. Let me give you an example of somebody who scrutinized the Gospel of Luke. Dr. R.C. Sproul, he writes in his expositional commentary on Luke, this story. So follow and enter into this story with me. Historians have sometimes been skeptical about the biblical writers. And in the early part of the 20th century, a British atheist historian, whose name was William Mitchell Ramsey, set out to debunk the truth claims of the Gospels. He decided to actually follow the alleged footsteps of the Apostle Paul through his missionary journey. So this British atheist historian retraced the steps of Paul as we find in the Gospels, in the, in the New Testament. He's going to all the places that the archaeologists have examined. And what happened to this British atheist historian as he did that? Dr. Ramsey was converted to Christ. Because he discovered that every time a spade of dirt was turned over in those days, some historical aspect of the Gospels was verified and authenticated. Ramsey and other secular historians have said that Luke, apart from inspiration, because we understand that Christ has inspired the writers, so apart from inspiration, apart from the divine assistance, we understand that the Holy Spirit comes alongside the writers to make them successful in the writing, that Luke, this is the British atheist historian's conclusion, that Luke was the most accurate historian of the entire ancient world. If God can do that in the life of a British atheist historian to change him and convert him to Christ and change his life, guess what he can do in your life? And guess what he can do in my life? He can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants to change us and transform us and to bring us to Christ. And that's what I pray is what the work that God will do in our lives as we go through his gospel together. So in Luke chapter 1, Luke writes an orderly account of God speaking. And in Luke chapter 1, if you're doing the reading plan, you would have read Luke chapter 1 up until today. And so what I'm teaching on would have been a part of what you would have read. And you can, you know, can get one of the bookmarks and you can catch up. You can follow along with this. So you'll read, right, during the week and then we'll teach from that on the weekend. So in this, there are five places that Luke shows how God speaks in chapter 1. Now... We attempted this last night. We did not get through all five. We got through three, all right? So I give that as a disclaimer, all right? So it's likely we're not going to get through all five. But it begins um, with God speaking to Zechariah. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read and explain some things, some things I'm just going to read. So I'm going to read from uh, verse 5 until verse 12, and then I'll slow it down at verse 13. In the days of Herod, king of Judea... There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. 
Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. So the first way we see now God is going to speak is God is going to speak to Zechariah. So we'll pick it up again in verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Because he was terrified. Because it's terrifying to see an angelic host of the Lord God Almighty appear out of nowhere. Who is prepared for that? No one. And so the first thing that comes out of his mouth, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Consider this. At the time of Zechariah, there were 18,000 priests serving. Only 14 per year were chosen to, by lot to, cast, to be able to offer this incense each year. And a priest could only do it one time in their life. So the odds aren't very good that a person gets you know, selected for this very special role. But the offering of the incense was the offering of prayers of intercession for the people by means of offering the incense. These representing the prayers of God's people and it would be like a sweet aroma rising to God. Now consider Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were advanced in, in age and they didn't have any children. Consider how many times they asked God, Lord, please. Lord, please, would you give us a child? And at some moment, the prayer of, Lord, please, please, would you give us a child, changes in a person's life to, Lord, please, would you give me the grace to be childless? Lord, would you give me the grace, your grace, that I might be childless? But what I wonder is in this moment, under this incredible honor where he gets selected to go into the temple to offer the incense, if maybe during this moment he prays one more time. Lord, I believe you could do it. Could you give us a child? Because the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Incredible. Now, biblically, it is a great honor for parents to name the child. Names come with tremendous meaning. And a part of the creation at, uh, mandate that we see for Adam in Genesis 2, 19 and 20 is that Adam's responsibility is to give names to you know, all of the creatures of creation. But God in this moment is actually taking the authority of parents away from them to name the child. Now God does this throughout scripture. Here's some examples. His name shall be Isaac. His name shall be Samuel. His name shall be John, like in this right here. His name shall be Jesus. The name represents the purpose. And in verse 14 now, the angel speaking again to Zechariah, and you will have joy and gladness. Well, they're going to have a baby, so they're going to have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he, what we're seeing here is that there's a designation on this child. It's a special assignment by God on this child. And this child was going to be a prophet of God. 
And speaking, this child is going to be John the Baptist. And it says, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And I would just ask, please note this. Please note that a baby in a mother's womb can be filled with the Holy Spirit if the Lord God would choose to do that, as in this case. And this should inform our understanding of the sanctity of human life of a baby in a womb. Verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. This is describing the work of evangelism. That John the Baptist will do the work of evangelism. He will turn... Many of the children of Israel to the Lord your God. You know, when we think about the vision, love your actual neighbor, what are we asking God to do? Well, we're asking God to help us enter into the work of evangelism. That we might be a part of God's plan in turning our neighbors to the Lord our God. In verse 17, and he, John the Baptist, will go before him, Now it's speaking of John going before the Messiah. Now he will go before him, the Messiah, in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, it's not saying that John the Baptist was going to be Elijah. It's saying that he's going to go as a different person in that same spirit and in that same power. And what's it say he's going to do? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. I think we should take note of this. And here's why. In the end of your Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it describes the forerunner for the Messiah would come in the spirit of Elijah and would have a job. And the job of the forerunner for the Messiah is to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So that's the last thing God's people hear. And then there's, what, 400 years of silence? And now... God is stirring things back up again. And what he's telling us about this job of the forerunner is that he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. This last Thursday, we had the National Day of Prayer. Our nation needs the hearts of fathers to be turned towards the children. Our nation needs the hearts of parents to be turned towards the children. That our nation would see children as they matter to God. That God has a plan for children. A purpose for children. And I think it's significant even a couple thousand years later for us right now. What was the role of John the Baptist to turn the hearts of fathers to their children? Would God use us as a church in that way? To turn the hearts of fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. This was a time period and still is a time period where there is a world that is mocking God. Psalm 14.1 says, a fool says in his heart, there's no God. And part of the work of the forerunner of the Messiah was to, to come into this world that's mocking God and to help them become aware of God's wisdom. God's wisdom and the the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Why? To make ready for the Lord 
a people prepared. John the Baptist is the forerunner for Messiah, and his job is this, get people ready for the Lord. The second way we see God speaking that Luke writes in his orderly account here is God speaks to Mary. And so I'm going to read from verse 18 to 29, and then I'm going to slow it down at verse 30. So here's 18 to 29. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And so here we now seeing the account of now God is speaking to Mary. And in verse 30 it says this. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Again, because she's terrified. Because an angel, of the, a host of the Lord God Almighty is in her presence speaking to her. It's frightening. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. A young woman having this incredible experience, what do you think is going through her mind? And if that's not enough, listen to what he says next. And behold, you will conceive in your womb. It's a lot of information for a young person to be taking in all at once. The Old Testament gives record of how there are cases when a woman is barren and unable to have a child and God miraculously opens up the womb so that that person can now have a child. This is not what that is. What this is, is never before and never since. In this case, God is allowing a virgin without the influence of a male human to conceive a baby. It is the only time it has ever happened. It never happened before, and it has never happened since, and it will never happen again. This incredible moment where Mary conceives, and there is not a human male involved in the conception. It's incredible. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So again, we see God take the authority of naming the child. This time, God is the father and is naming his own son. Verse 32. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. To understand the context of this, we've got to go in our Bibles to 2 Samuel. And if you go to 2 Samuel in chapter 7, you'll see in verse 13 and 16 the Davidic covenant and the promise where God makes to King David the promise, you're always going to have a son that's going to sit on the throne, and you're going to have a kingdom that never ends. This incredible promise. Well, in this moment, what the angel is communicating to Mary is, your son is the fulfillment of this promise. Your son, Jesus, is going to sit on a throne that never ends, and he is going to rule a kingdom that never ends. Now, as a good, young Jewish gal, she would have known fully about the Davidic covenant. That the Messiah would reign on the throne of King David forever. But imagine in this moment the hope of her entire culture. She's hearing the hope of her entire culture is resting on a baby that she's going to carry. I mean, this would have been absolutely mind-blowing for a young person to take in. This is so much information all at once. Incredible. Incredible. Now, let's read on how she responds. I'm going to read from 34 through 40, and then I'll slow it down at 40. 34 through 40. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Again, the angel is answering Mary's question. Like, how is this even possible? I'm a virgin. How is this even possible? So he's nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Okay, so now here we are seeing a third way that God is speaking in the first chapter of Luke, and God is speaking now through Elizabeth. God spoke to Zechariah, God spoke to Mary, but now God is speaking through Elizabeth. It says in verse 41, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. What are, we, what are we observing here? When Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mary, the baby in Elizabeth leaps in Elizabeth's womb. Well, who is the baby in Elizabeth? Well, that's baby John the Baptist. And what have we learned so far? Well, we learned that baby John the Baptist was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the womb. And now baby John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit, is responding in the womb to the voice of Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's incredible. And I would submit to you, this is possibly John the Baptist's first testimony to the Messiah. And he does it leaping in the womb of his mother. 
Because at the very voice of Mary, John the Baptist is so excited that he leaps. That's incredible. It's amazing. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So God now fills Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. Now it says cry, but we need to understand what she's about to say is actually a song. So it says that she cries it, but it's a song. She's actually going to now sing a song or say a song. And song is very important to God. Um, in the infancy narrative about Jesus, there are five songs. Elizabeth sings a song. Mary sings a song. Zechariah sings a song. The angels sing a song. And then Simeon sings a song. Five songs just about the birth and the nativity of Jesus. God uses music, he uses song, he uses a lyric, he uses melody, he uses words, all throughout sacred scripture. So here it is, Elizabeth, now her song. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth is saying, how is it that I have this privilege? How God is amazing. God needs to be worshipped. I need to worship the Lord. How is it that I have this privilege? That the very mother of my Lord would come and visit me on this day. This is the best day. This is the day I'm going to worship the Lord. Blessed, blessed. Wow. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Verse 45. And blessed is she who believed. Elizabeth, by the power of God's Holy Spirit in this moment, has the knowledge that God has given her that Mary believed God. That Mary believed God. And Elizabeth in this moment is saying, blessed is she who believed that Mary believed God's word and trusted God's promise that Mary took God at his word. And she's saying, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And since that's what we have time for, we'll end with that thought. You know, there's an incredible blessing. We have God's word. We have his word and we have his truth. We have his promises and there is a blessing to believe him and to believe his word and to believe God and take God at his word. And as we walk through these next months together as a church family, four months we're going to spend in the Gospel of Luke. We have the opportunity to be reading it every day. We've given you the tools of the bookmark. You can get your phone, text. We have the opportunity to study it, to get into it, to get out a pen, to get out some paper, to take some notes, to use a journal, 
Use a pad of paper with your Bible. We have the opportunity to come together on the weekend and to have teaching on the Word of God as we teach through Luke. And we have opportunity to be discussing this with our friends and with our families and in small groups and in our men's group and our women's group and with the people that we serve. That we might encourage one another, God has spoken, let's believe him. Let's believe him. God is speaking. He's speaking to us through his word. Let's believe God. Let's take God at his word. Because there's an incredible blessing for those who believe God and believe God for what he has spoken and become obedient to God's word. Now today, as we've read through portions of Luke chapter one, what I would ask is this. Was there something from God's word today that it began to stir in your heart? It began to move in your heart, a word from God, a phrase from God's word, a verse one of the stories, one of the accounts that God is now stirring in your heart, my encouragement would be, do not ignore whatever God is stirring up in your heart. If God's word is moving in you, pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. Because God wants you to know him. God wants you to have relationship with him. And God is going to use his word, and he's going to use his Holy Spirit And he's going to work in your life. And as he does that, take note. Take note of what God is doing in you. And respond to him. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. Thank you that we have your word. Lord, thank you that we can come together to worship you. A group of people coming together to lift up the name of Jesus that we would remember you in communion, that we would not forget you. And we would remind ourselves and one another by your word about you. God, thank you. Thank you that you have built your church. You have built your church family. And that we get to be a part of it. And we are blessed to be a part of your church family. And so God... As we go on this adventure together, going through the gospel of Luke, your word, Lord, would you do a great work in our lives? Would you do a great work in our lives? We want to see you at work, and we want you to be glorified, and we want to be a part of the living testimony in our time, in our culture, in this city. We want to be a part of the living testimony that God is alive and he's at work. And so, God, would you do whatever you want to do in our lives and in our church. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said.